Hello, and welcome yeah. to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Jenny Mills, and I'm currently the Secretary for Education and Learning in the United Reformed Church. In the past week, I attended the United Reformed Church Ministers uh, gathering, and we had some amazing speakers, including Podrico Chuma and Najla Kassab, the President of the World Council of Reformed Churches. So I've had a pretty full on enriching and teaching week. Each week, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. Today, I am very pleased to introduce the Reverend Lenita Conradi. Lenita is a qualified barrister and worked for 19 years in Namibia as a, as a Methodist minister and human rights lawyer. Lenita moved to the UK in 2013, and in 2021, she was awarded a professional doctorate in practical theology by the University of Chester. She currently serves three Methodist churches in the UK. Lenita, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. So this podcast is entitled Politics in the Pulpit. And um, one of the things I've read that, about you is that you want to empower people to hear the Bible in a way that speaks to 21st century situations and that justice is important. How do you see yourself as both theologian, preacher and politician? How do those, those things all intermingle? Well, I think that we cannot divorce politics from the rest of our lives. We cannot divorce our spiritual lives from our secular lives, if you like. So I think that I think it's very important that people who come to church on a Sunday encounter the same things that they would encounter during the week. <clears throat> in other words, encountering God in their everyday lives and encountering the Bible in, every, in their everyday lives. The Bible with all its difficulties and the problematic and its ancient the fact that it's ancient writing. Mm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that connecting the context of the ancient writings and, and the scriptures with uh, with key justice and um, issues and political events. What what sort of, um, what from your context, from your life, from your experience, what are the key justice issues uh, or political events that, that, that have an effect with us still today? Well, I think certainly not specifically within the context with which in which I serve now, but I think mm -hmm. just in general, um, yeah, I think marginalization is still a, a very big issue, a marginalization of minority groups, marginalization of people who are different in one way or another from the majority of people in the world. Yeah. And a lot of that is very subtle and often not even intended, but somehow still kind of manifests itself as it were. Mm -hmm. And so that marginalisation has driven a lot of your work as, as a human rights lawyer and also as a minister? Yes. Mm, excellent. Well, um, each week, the uh, my JPIT colleagues uh, offer us um, some things to, to, uh, to keep an eye on. Well, they keep an eye on the world for us. And so they've offered us some things that we'd like to hold in mind as we come to have our conversations about the text for, the, for this, uh, this Sunday. So exams for students across England and Wales begin this week. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been Christian or it's been Christian Aid Week, uh, and that's focused on rising levels of global poverty caused by COVID nineteen, conflict, and drought induced by climate change. We think of the many churches that will have been giving and fundraising 
uh, for, a, for a more just world. Uh, on the 25th of May, we marked the third anniversary of the murder of George Floyd by a police officer in Minnesota, which drew um, many protests around the world. And with a racially motivated shooting last week in Buffalo, um, we might ask actually what has changed. We've also had the UK government pressing ahead with implement, implementing its much criticized asylum policies, announcing it expects to send the first group of 50 migrants to Rwanda in the next couple of weeks. Uh, also in the news has been the Northern Ireland and its post-Brexit trading arrangements with a political impasse in the Northern Ireland Assembly um, following elections there and the government's threat to unilaterally revoke parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol that it negotiated with the EU. And our conversation continues to take place against the backdrop of the conflict in Ukraine, where Putin's invasion has now triggered Finland and Norway to apply to join NATO. And as we yearn for war to end, we continue to pray and wonder what it is that will make for peace. So with so much trouble in the world and with rising costs of living and MPs wading into telling people how to, how to manage their own cost of living, we come with our newspapers in one hand and our Bibles in the other. And uh, I just wonder where you would like us to start this week with the texts that have been set this week. I think before we get to that, there were just two other issues which I um, wanted to flag up. The one is I heard last week, to my shock and horror, uh, a journalist saying that one of the members of the cabinet had suggested that possibly the Human Rights Bill or the Human Rights Act should be scrapped. And I was absolutely horrified to hear that. Right. And especially because the journalist seemed to be kind of quite in favour of that and okay. trying, to blame, trying to blame the fact that that human rights lawyers are fighting for the rights of people for some of the ills in the world. And then yeah. I heard this morning uh, that there are moves afoot to increase the powers of stop and search for police in order to fight crime. And I kind of wondered whether that was addressing the symptoms rather than getting to the cause and the root cause of, of knife and other violent crime. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that whole idea of, of how many of the things that we do at the moment are actually hitting the root cause, that in, that applies also to some of the child poverty stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But you're right, this idea of, well, we always, uh, are we always doing kind of knee-jerk reactions? Well, th well, thank you for raising those two those two issues. And um, where would you like us to, to start with our texts? Well, I thought we'd start with the passage from Acts chapter 16, yeah. Uh, which is the passage about Lydia. I'm, I'm, I think that in a very strange way, there, there are connections between the three lectionary passages, although my gut reaction when I was approached to do this is, now I know why I don't use the lectionary between Easter and Pentecost. <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm not actually doing that this year. I'm doing a sermon series. But I then st stopped and looked at these three passages and did a bit of background reading and then discovered that there were some connections somewhere in a very strange kind of a way. Okay. But we're starting with the Acts chapter 16 passage. And, and what struck me there is that Paul had this vision um, and a man from Macedonia pleaded with him uh, to come and help them. Yeah. And when he got to uh, Philippi, he went to this place where they, where, where some women were praying and Rather than meet a man from Macedonia, he met, he met a woman called Lydia yeah. from Thyatira. Um, and, and so that I found that quite ironical that mm. you know, 
he had this vision from a man. And also that this woman was named, because a lot of women in the Bible are not named. Yes. And also that she was obviously a woman of some means. Uh, she was most likely a Gentile, but had obviously been exposed to uh, some kind of faith. Yeah. And then was open to the spirit and then ended up offering all hospitality. And I noticed if you go to the end of Acts chapter 16, after Paul um, left prison and before he left the area, he went back to her house. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah. It, I, 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 I was hit too by this idea that it was a man pleading with him. And, I, and it, it kind of made me reflect on on how God can surprise us sometimes. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the hospitality, I thought that was very interesting. Um, and as you said, she was a woman of means and she offered hospitality. Well, how, how do you see uh, how do you see hospitality being um, uh, something that we can offer and how important is that? I think hospitality is very important, but I think that people have a very narrow view of what hospitality means. I was running a Lent course recently and I, try, I was trying to get people to think of hospitality as more than offering somebody a cup of tea and coffee at church or in your home. Because okay. for me, hospitality means making room for other people, making room for other people in the world, in your life, in your encounters, whether that's over a cup of tea or simply uh, seeing someone in the street. So I think I think we have a very narrow view of hospitality somehow. Mm. And do you think that's a cultural thing? It could be. It could be a cultural thing. I think in uh, the context that I come from, in, from Africa, uh, yeah. I think hospitality comes very naturally to people. People are just naturally more spontaneous. I think people here are not um, lacking hospitality. I'm not quite sure what the, what the word is for, for that. Not inhospitable. It doesn't sound really right. But you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I think people are much more reserved and maybe just a little bit more sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, i think we kind of do i think when you said about having a cup of tea i think that's quite you know it is it is something i, I am often surprised when i go to visit my libyan friends and uh and that there is this absolute abundance of you know abundance of welcome and the family all comes along and and, and it feels it feels like it's a it's a, it's a holistic thing it's welcome to all of me from all of them Rather Indeed. than perhaps a, a simple a simple thing, yes, yes. Yeah. I think hospitality, but as I said, I think I do think that. Uh, so in in our churches, it's not only about offering somebody a cup of tea or coffee, but also yeah. that when you offer that tea of, or coffee, especially for somebody who's coming for the first time, you don't just leave them with a cup of tea or coffee, but you actually talk to them as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and um, when we talk about marginalisation. I think that sense of uh, we can we find it easier to be hospitable to those uh, with whom we have something in common. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, very often uh, a church may make its facilities accessible to people in wheelchairs. Uh, one would arrive at a church and you could possibly be offered a Braille book and mm -hmm. that looks really good. And then afterwards uh, you're offered a cup of tea or coffee and then you're kind of left standing mm. in the middle of nowhere or sitting in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. because people have done what they wanted to do. They've made, they've, they've done what, what the correct things are. They've made it accessible. They've given you a cup of tea or coffee, but maybe, oh, well, you know, we'll, 
we're going to talk to our friends rather. And I don't yeah. think people intend to be uh, exclusive. Not, it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And that that uh, coming back to the text when, um, as you said, Lydia was already a believer, um, and then uh, and and but then Paul preaches and she listens, and that whole sense of she op- the Lord opened her heart, and then her and her household were baptized. Yes. Uh, that sense of um, that sense of a response to what she heard. Yes. How do did. you how do you hear that one? Uh, I think so, and I mean, I was reminded actually of the story in Acts chapter ten of Cornelius because he was also a Gentile, mm-hmm. and he also responded. So, and and Paul responded as well. You know, uh, he he didn't question. Uh, oh well, you know, can I go to this woman's house because she's not yeah. Jewish? Uh, yeah. And and. Um, so the, hospi- the hospitality, in a sense, came uh, from both sides because not only did Lydia offer hospitality, but Paul responded because I think obviously hospitality has got two sides. Yes. So I can offer you hospitality. If you're not going to respond, well, then that, that makes it more difficult. Yes, 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 that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, the, the One other point that I thought was quite interesting is how in um, 1612 it says, we remained in this city for some days. How... how um, idea of waiting on the Lord I think sometimes we 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 kind of want action rather than being as as people of faith yes I think that's true and I, I'm, I'm definitely fall into that <laughs> uh, I'm not no, not so much a I'm more a doer than a beer if you know what I mean uh, but what I also found interesting is that that um, Paul didn't go and look for a, a church or a synagogue or whatever he went to the gate by the river and he saw there were women praying yeah they were worshiping they didn't need a building for that mm-hmm. something else that's interesting uh, i i came across in one of the commentaries is in in verse uh, 15 uh, it said uh, she she urged um and she prevailed upon them at the at the, at the end of verse uh, 15 yeah. and evidently um According to one commentator, the word prevailed is used only once else in the New Testament, and that's in the story of the journey to Emmaus when the uh, the two disciples prevailed upon Jesus to stay with them. I thought that yes. was quite interesting. Yes, yes, and that and that uh, that that the echo of that accompaniment, isn't it? That uh, the, yeah. the accompanying and opening opening the word of God and opening 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 them to to hearing the the word of God and the love of God. Yes. Okay, so um, do you want to take us? Do you want to take us on uh, into one of the other texts? Yes, I can take you on to Revelation, and I must admit, as was the case with the the man whose podcast I listened to, I'm also not naturally drawn to the Book of Revelation. I find it actually really quite scary and mysterious. But I did, um, I did find it really interesting that uh, that the picture that is painted here is. for me, reminiscent of uh, Walter Brueggemann's prof- prophetic imagination, mm. that an, an, an imagining an alternative world to the world in which we find ourselves right now. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that it's uh, imagining a utopia, but it's an, it's imagining a world where there are no barriers, uh, where right. there's no fear, where you don't need a temple in which to worship, where there's where there's no night or day. Um, I was I was a little bit uh, uncomfortable with verse twenty six. Who talked about nobody who's unclean, 
will enter. But then I was thinking, well, perhaps if you un if you were unclean or whatever, uh, you you wouldn't really want to be in that place anyway. Mm-hmm. And then there was this whole um, picture of water and life and the river of life and um, and and the fruit and it, it just all sorts of images that come to mind from that. Mm. Um, reminiscent of you know the, the Genesis story of of Eden and the tree of life and yeah uh, in in a, in a sense a restoration of that kind of time of paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, with so much going on in the world that saddens us, and with so much going on that just seems to uh, encourage division and encourage uh, power battles and all of these things. This is this is a, an incredibly welcoming and inclusive text, isn't indeed, it? Indeed, yes. Um, and uh, <coughs> how do we how do we hold some of that intention with 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 what we see going on around us and still and still preach words of hope within all of this? I think that that is very difficult. I think it's it's. I think one's got. I, I always tell my congregation that 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 hope. Is not a a glib blind optimism. I think yeah. it's got to be much deeper than that. It's got to say something like, "Well, it's almost like where there's hope, there's life, rather than yeah. where there's life, there's hope." Because if there's no more hope, well, then there can be no more life. Yes, and we see. I mean, I think we see the glimpses of that in some of the situations that are being reported from Ukraine. Yes. Uh, some of the some of the people uh, and the resilience of these amazing people, and we can and we can read we can read stories of of, uh, of people. Um, I wonder if there's any other images of, of hope that you feel are being uh, communicated within some of the difficult situations around the world. Yeah, yeah, and I think also the way in which you've had people from here, you know, firemen traveling all the way to to Poland to to deliver equipment. You know, yeah. collecting all sorts of things. You know, food and clothing and medicines and and yeah. you know, doctors risking their lives to try and and help people. I mean, I think in in the midst of all of that, there is always going to be um, the sort of good uh, that kind of manifests itself in the midst of all the evil. Yeah, the bringers of hope, really, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Um, and and I I I think um, in the uh, in the text uh, from Revelation, it's um, it's kind of um, about us. It's being responsible for the world. Yes. Um, you know, there's having having this sense of um, of everybody is included, and it's not about it's not about imposing, but it's about about working with creation Indeed. and being part of all of that new new hope. Uh, how yes. do you see this in, in terms of kind of um, uh, an anti-establishment thing? This idea that it's coming back to God rather than uh, the, the which, which in, in the Revelation, the sort of um, against the Roman Empire uh, rhetoric. That's right. Yes, because I think this is contrasting um, the world which God would want and yeah. the world of the of the of the Roman Empire and the oppression that was taking place. And this is what the the, the writer of the book is trying to portray. I think that you know that mm-hmm. there is there is more there is there, it doesn't have to be like this it yeah. doesn't have to be a world of oppression and exclusion and marginalization yeah. it can be 
something different. You know, if if and, and I mean, water is such a such a powerful symbol, isn't it? Absolutely. It's it's a it's a particularly powerful symbol in in the country that I come from. You know, Namibia, which is so dry, and 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 in fact, there was a program on television last night about about the Namib Desert and how the the mist from the sea is what keeps many of the creatures alive. That wow. that little bit of moisture. Wow. And that and water, in a sense, is a symbol of, of life. So, you know, one can kind of probably not take it too far, but mm. you know, how do we sort of work in a world where, where there's so much desert and so much destruction and so much death? What kind mm. of water do we offer? You know, what sort of water of life do we offer? Yeah, that's really powerful in the sense that that sense that creation has these these ways of responding even to even to to lack i mean that, i love that idea of the of of the of the of the, of the desert um and 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 uh, somebody was telling me the other day they had um they have a artificial grass but then a dandelion was growing up in the middle of this artificial grass and uh, her son who was only very small wouldn't let her pull this dandelion out because it, they they just thought it was so, you know it was so precious to them and yet she saw it as a weed, but but creation has a way of of kind of healing itself, of finding the cracks, of finding the uh, of, of of keeping going, doesn't it? That's quite a powerful thing, even when humankind is not perhaps behaving in the best way towards it. That's correct. Yes, and I mean it showed these creatures in uh, when when the sun goes down in the Namib Desert and the temperature goes down, that the and the mist comes in from the sea and these creatures burrow into the sand dunes and find little bits of moisture and all sorts of wow. other little creatures. It's it's absolutely fascinating to kind of think of that and, and how powerful that is. Yeah, yeah. And then and then the idea of of water as a as a as a as part of our baptism, that connection with yeah. that connection with you know the sacrament and how how we are renewed by um by that profession of faith and by that welcome into into God's community, but equally the responsibility that that brings. Yes, indeed, and that we we have to keep refreshing ourselves and the world in the way that we refresh our bodies with water yeah. or liquids yeah. uh, to keep you know refreshing the world somehow. Yeah, yeah. So that sense of, of of finding where where the need is that we can actually respond to. Um, I, I think one of the the issues is we can we can become so overwhelmed by the problems in the world, can't we? Indeed, yes. yes and I it's can. and it's choosing where actually our it, it, we can actually do something that um that, that can make a difference that can help or support. Yeah. Okay. Well, th thank you for that one. And. Um, if we go on to, uh, did you have um, did you have um, the gospel reading? Yes, I have John chapter fourteen because I kind of thought that that made more sense uh, in, um, in the context of the other two passages yeah. than John five. So I've chosen, and I think John fourteen uh, is interesting from a number of points of view, and and have has some strange connections, possibly if, if somewhat tenuous. And right. the first thing is that the reading comes after Easter, and yet it, it's part of the farewell discourses of Jesus. Mm. So it's, it's, it's written in a context of before Jesus' death, and yet it's, it's, it's given to us after the resurrection. Yeah. Um, but, the, but there is uh, some interesting things which I think uh, complements what we've been saying, and one of them is um, 
Jesus talks about keeping, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I like the way that he he doesn't say obey because I think obey has all sorts of pejorative meanings mm. to it. Um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if we were all to keep um, the commandments, and I'm not meaning that in a in a legalistic way, but if we were all to live according to the, the teaching of Jesus, well, then we wouldn't have all these problems in the world. And then we would be able to bring about this new world order that uh, Revelation talks about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and then something else that struck me was uh, in verse 27, where Jesus talks about my peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. So Jesus is offering this peace knowing that not only he, but all his disciples are really, really anxious about what's going to be happening the next day. Mm. So he's, he's, he's not saying, I'm giving you my peace, and that's going to solve all the problems in the world, and it's going to take everything that's terrible away. No, I'm going to give you the peace that passes all understanding, and don't let your heart be troubled. So I'm going to come and try and just calm down and keep your cool, and don't <laughs> be afraid, but, but you know, you, you must keep my commandments if you want this world to be a better place, is what I'm possibly reading too much into, but that's a, kind of how I, I you know, feel mm. about it. And, and that piece in, in that context as well is, you know, every, at that point, uh, Pax Romana will have been, that, you know, the, 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 the piece of the kind of Roman Empire would have been something against which they all struggled. And we also, you know, we had that in the in the Revelation text, this sense That's of right. the Roman 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 occupation, um, and and he's saying there's a different way to be. You don't have to follow the, you know, you don't have to be um, constrained by some of the structures. My way is a different way of being. Um, I just, I think that 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 idea of um, living life in the Jesus way gives us different things to focus on. Yes, it's it's it's. It's becoming an alternative to what you know Brueggemann keeps talking about the dominant narrative, the dominant narrative of of consumerism yeah. and militarism, and it's, it's it's what's in it for me, and it's all about political point scoring and rhetoric and all that sort of thing, and and that's not the way that Jesus wants it to be. No. That's not how we need to live. And I wonder sometimes whether we we are so busy trying to you know judging other people that we don't actually just talk about well, actually, we we do have a a message of good news, and that's not about whether you go to heaven or not, whatever that means. It's rather about you can live a different way, and if you live a different way, well, then there won't be uh, violence in Northern Ireland, and there won't be racial suit shootings, and there won't be uh, a necessity to increase the stop and search bars of the police, etc., etc. You know, mm. we, we approach these things from from a different angle. So in, instead of saying to the young people, we're going to all make sure that you haven't got knives, Rather, well, what what alternative can we give you so that you won't actually want to stab somebody else? Why don't we offer you a, a football or music or something else? Don't shouldn't we rather concentrate on that rather than just wanting to to have these like hard, uh, heavy-handed, high-handed tactics all the time? Because that's mm. part of the dominant narrative. Mm. So, so instead of kind of making a law to limit something, we actually try and find other ways of of, of enabling people and enriching people. So. So when so when so when there's a, the MP talks about how uh, he can make meals for thirty pence a day, uh, and and um, and when he's talking about the cost of living crisis, and actually he has the benefit of 
having the opportunity to, uh, to, to, to do batch cooking. So he's got somewhere to store the food and he's got the electricity to make the food. And he has a big enough shopping basket to be able to pay for a lot of food to do batch cooking. And I think we're, when we are people of privilege and we are people of opportunity, uh, we tend to forget that for some people there aren't alternatives. And you're right, if we can offer those alternatives uh, uh, to, to some people and to, and, and to show them there's a different way to be. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not even sure that that whether you offer uh, buy one get one free on a packet of crisps or not, whether that's going to make any difference to the obesity level in the country. I think there mm. must be different ways. And I'm not an expert on all these things, but I sometimes wonder whether we just don't like try and get an easy. It's a bit like um, the doctor says, "Well, your headache's getting worse. I'm going to increase your." Your painkillers, but the doctor never thinks, well, well, maybe I should actually work out why you're getting these headaches and why they're getting worse. Yes, yes. And that idea is that quote, isn't it? I think I've probably used it already. It's that, you know, let's stop pulling people out of the river and start going upstream and see why they're falling in. Yeah. What, when are we starting to tackle some of these things at source? And, and, and while, you know, it, it's, it's criminal that more and more people are using food banks. Why is that the case? Let's look at the root causes of some of these issues. Well, especially because there are those who use food banks. There are plenty of others who pay money because they're too fat and they go to whatever Slimming World or whatever those other places are that offer people solutions to their weight problems. So you know, on the one hand, you've got people starving and going to food banks. On the other hand, you've got people that eat too much and have, have to pay to get help with. You know, so it's – and I'm not judging the people who go to Slimming World or Weight Watch. I'm not judging them, and I'm saying it's just so ironical that there's just two kind of opposite ends of the uh, opposite poles as it were yeah and do you think i think sometimes it's it's we get into habits don't we uh, that 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 hurt and harm ourselves and we find we you know we struggle to we struggle to find ways out of out of those things i think i think in the text of john that the, the world is a scary place it's scary for the disciples i think your your, your phrase about jesus calm down jesus mm. saying calm down um, the gospel speaks into into the fact that for many people the world is a scary, frightening place. Uh, and and trying to embody that love of God mm. uh, is 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 really important, isn't it? This you know, and and for us to understand that Christ is with us in the suffering as well as um as uh, as well as in the in the good times. That sense of you know God is with us, That's whatever great. it is we're facing. Yeah, but I think also that. I think it it's um <coughs> it's not denying the suffering. It's not saying, oh, it's all going to be okay. Just have just just uh, I'm leaving you my peace. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry yeah. about it. So, that's yeah. not what he's saying. Is it? I'm giving you this peace that the world can't give. Shalom, wholeness, healing, whatever. And don't don't be afraid. But actually, I'm recognizing that you are afraid because fear is part of it. It's very real to be afraid. Yeah. And he's, he's, you know, so I, I, I think there's a, there's a fine balance, but I think you, you've got to offer people that peace, but you've also got to say, but it's okay if you, at this stage, you cannot actually find that peace, but be assured that it doesn't have to be like this, but we've all got to work a lot harder to make the world a better place. Yes. And, and, and this, this sense of if we saw with Lydia, uh, she she heard the love of God and then she embodied the love of God and that's yeah. that's that that's really what we we need to be doing isn't it we need to be embodying it through our yeah. words and our actions um, absolutely 
Well, thank you so much. We've had a lovely wander through these through these texts, and uh, and, uh, and and I always love it when 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 people quote Brueggemann at me. Uh, it's, it's just wondrous. So thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom and your reflections and your understanding of these texts with us. Uh, and thank, thank you to you those much. who have raised more answers or questions and answers, but. Well, I think more questions and answers is is the way that faith goes, isn't it? The more I learn, the less I know. So that that's a that's that that shows you've kind of done what what we needed today. Um, I'd like to thank everybody who's listened to the uh, podcast this week. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And uh, if you want to join in the conversations, the best place to do it is on Twitter with at pulpit underscore pol politics or hashtag politics in the pulpit or on our faith Facebook um, community through the joint public issues team. Uh, the question, um, uh, we have um, questions each week uh, about the text. And I think this week, it, the, the idea of empire, how do, how, do we, how do we embody something different to the empire that we are living in uh, in this in this world, and that we read in our text, how does empire affect understanding of empire affect our faith? Uh, if you've been listening for a while, you'll know that JPIT have their 2022 conference from the ground up, unearthing hope and seeking justice on the 11th of June online and in London at Oasis Waterloo. We actually have a special discount offer for podcast listeners by going to jointpublicissues.org.uk/conference. And using the code PODCAST10, you can get 10% off your ticket. And under 25s and those on low incomes go free. A reminder of the code is PODCAST10, no spaces or lowercase. So I would like to thank you again, Lenita, for your time and for your wisdom. And uh, we go into, into our pulpits and we go into uh, our everyday world with these things, uh, these things ringing in our ears. And I'd like to conclude this with the blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release the captives, help people to see the world truthfully, and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Thank you, Lenita. Goodbye. Goodbye.